Well, hello, everyone. This is Jim Patton. I'm your host for the MOH podcast. MOH uh, stands for Ministry of Helps. If you want to find the reference for that, go look in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It's one of the spiritual gifts, and we believe that's the, the gift that, one of the gifts at least that uh, the Lord has given us. You may be wondering where we've been for the past uh, five or six weeks, and uh, the truth is we had a, a pretty serious health issue, uh, health incident, I guess I'd call it, <laughs> here in the family. And uh, at this point, it looks like um, we're just about through with that. There's a couple more tests that have to be done, but uh, we're we're looking pretty good here to keep keep going and uh, get restarted with our podcast. And uh, now, for those of you that have wondered where we've been, that's it. Now we did uh, one, two, three, three the uh, second and third podcast back. We did a podcast about the uh, basic needs, the basic spiritual needs of human beings. That was a two-parter. Then the last one we did was uh, part one of what would be called a spiritual counterfeit for those basic needs. And uh, we're on to now the last two, and uh, we're ready for Winky to bring us the the conclusion of the the spiritual counterfeits session. Uh, remember, this is uh, these were done at the same time. There was the, the the two on the basic needs, on the four basic needs, and then these responses here were the uh, counterfeits that the enemy will try to throw at you. So we're going to finish up on part two, and then uh, we'll be back after that. And uh, enjoy. And I want to, in the next the twenty minutes, just give you a brief summary of the other two. We've looked at counterfeit love, sexual immorality, we've looked at counterfeit wisdom, and we've looked particularly at the hallucinogenics as a doorway to occult wisdom. Now, I don't mean to imply when I say that that these are the only two forms of counterfeit love and counterfeit wisdom. Some cults show counterfeit love in order to get people in to deception. Uh, Some cults give, as we said, alternate philosophical systems that give the picture of uh, access to secret knowledge. What I picked, though, are two that the Bible mentions as being dominant themes of the last uh, culture. So I want to pick two more out now. These ones, again, uh, I picked these because I believe they're Important, they're significant, there may be others. Counterfeit spiritual power is the one we want to look at next. And uh, give a little picture of the old idea in the East and the West of gods. The West tended to have gods that were personal, but little, finite, small gods. There was Bacchus, who was a god of booze. There was uh, Mars, who was a god of war. There was Eros, who was a god of love. There were different gods, and every time they discovered something new, they had a god for it. So you had finally whole families of gods. These gods were very powerful, but they were still small. They were finite. They had the same problems as the human beings who made them up. They, uh, they battled, they fought, they stole each other's wives, they were punished by the different uh, bigger deities turning them into other things. And uh, 
That was one thing. The East, on the other hand, reacted to this multiplicity of gods, and we said 330 million gods to worship is a fair number, like India came up with. Imagine putting, even chanting their names once a day. It's quite a lot. You'd have to have your prayer wheel on an electric motor, spinning 30,000 revolutions a minute to get those ones through. But they reacted to that, and they came up with an infinite deity which was faceless. It wasn't personal. It was everything. It was uh, Deity was the whole of reality. It was you. It was me. It was the flea and the sea and the redwood tree. And... Uh, that tended to be more the Eastern picture of God, an infinite everything, pan-everythingism, as uh, Francis Schaeffer puts it. But what is interesting is this. If you wanted power from God, what you did here, there was, a, there was a common connection, it seems, in both of those. Power with infinite deity in the East was to some way of becoming one with this infinite force or power, and tapping into it directly. But interestingly enough, here, these gods derived their own power from an ultimate energy source, and it was considered more convenient to go to one of these beings who themselves knew how to manipulate that ultimate energy source to get your power in a derived sense. And so both the East and the West unite in this. All of them believed that there was ultimately some shall we say, energy or force that could be tapped or manipulated in order to empower the person who had mastered the techniques with more than human qualities. And many seek such power knowing that you have to have some kind of input, a continuous supply of spiritual power. In our day, we've had many, many contenders for giving you that energy, that power, that force. Uh, in a simply physical way, many people study things like Kung Fu or Karate in order to give them physical protection. <coughs> like, uh, you know, good guys wear black and Bruce Lee kicking the cheese out of people. And uh, <clears throat> that's just in a physical sense. When you go to the spiritual world, people... Uh, there's a, there's a crossover. As a matter of fact, I met one guy who was a, a karate champion. He was a national karate champion. He toured with a group of national karate champions. And the guy who coached them is one of the most dangerous men in the world. He doesn't look at all like your average movie star kung fu expert. He's a fat, dumpy little guy. He doesn't look like a Japanese sumo wrestler. He's a short, dumpy little Korean man but he's got to be one of the most dangerous men alive in the world. And this man is so fast, it is, un it is unnatural. He, uh, what he would do is, he, on two, he's killed three men in practice, and each time he's been acquitted because it was kind of, you know, the, the hazards of the game. But uh, the guy said, he said he killed them deliberately because they crossed him. He just killed them. And he enjoyed it. And the, the guy looks like you could, you know, you take him out with a feather. He's just funny little roly-poly guy. But he does not believe that he is human. He has so deeply got into uh, the energies and the flows and the 
key and all this other stuff, that he does not believe that he's a human being anymore. He's an advanced being. He has become like Superman. And uh, the guy was telling me, he said out on the road, what they do, he put on an exhibition match sometimes, and he said there were, I think, 10 of us, and we had to all come in simultaneously and attack him simultaneously. We're all champions. We had to simultaneously attack him, and he would take us all out within 30 seconds. This guy. There's only so many. I think only seven can get in a circle. That's the maximum number you can get in at a time. And he'd just take us out seven at a time until the whole troop was gone. And he said, what we would do is just run in and let ourselves get wiped out. Because if you resisted anyway, he would really hit you hard. We'd just run in and get cheese knocked out of it. But he said, he said, this man one time was standing there and he was talking about how fast he moved. He could cut paper and you wouldn't see his hand move. Hand like, like this and the paper would just fall in half. And the guy said, you may not believe this, but he said, one day he stood in front of him and he said, you know, he's talking about how supernatural he was. And he said he, he did not move. I did not see his hands move. But the guy said, try and breathe. And he'd collapsed his lung. With, it did not seem like he even moved his hand. But the guy said he tried to breathe and suddenly his lung wouldn't work. He'd collapsed his lung. And he'd done it. He'd moved his hand. He never saw him move. And there are dimensions you can go into in the, in the physical studies that actually take you into the occult world. Now, some people, for instance, when people found out that Charlie Manson was a Scientologist, hundreds of movie actors began to study Scientology. Why? For the same reason you'd study karate if you knew some guy was going to get you, and he was coming for you for karate, and that's all you had to defend yourself as a protection. So many people got into occult forms of power systems as a means of defense against those who had a contract on them in some way or other. And we won't look in detail at some of these power systems. I'll just say that uh, probably the simplest description of what we could call the amoral power, the boiled-down essence of all religions, uh, which is this West-Eastern ultimate energy. Uh, I think the best one who described that is George Lucas in Star Wars where he called the force the boil-down essence of all religions. And what's interesting, in Star Wars, the force gives both Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader their powers. Though they're supposed to be opposites, they both are energized by the same source. And uh, that is an interesting scripture. In the book of Daniel, chapter 11, and verse 36 to 38, and it comes out very strongly, the King James Version, Daniel 11, 36 to 38, speaks of a last day leader who will rule the world. And this is what it says about him in the King James Version. He will not regard the God of his fathers, but in his place he shall honor the God of forces. It's an interesting little statement. The Bible predicts a major outpouring of demonic deception in the last days involving supernatural power. 2 Thessalonians 2 1 through to 15 is one of these. 2 Thessalonians 2. Just uh, write these down. We won't uh, look into them. 2, 1 through to 15. And then 1 uh, Timothy 4, 1. 
And then finally, 2 Peter 2.2. 2. The Bible speaks about the devil doing lying wonders. And we must, we must understand this. In the occult world, there are real manifestations of power. I think the best example of this is when Moses faced Pharaoh's magicians. Moses came, remember God had told him, he came out of the desert, all he had was a stick. He said, what am I going to say when I meet Pharaoh? He knew he was going to walk into an occult rat's nest. And he said, what can I say? He was brought up in Pharaoh's court. He saw the magicians. He knew what they could do. And, and uh, he said, what shall I say to Pharaoh? He happens to be the ruler of the world. And I've been, uh, has been 80 years out in the desert here. God said, here, take this stick, throw it down, threw it down, and became a snake. He said, pick it up. Pick it up. Yeah, pick it up. So he picked it up, came a stick again. He said, you like that one? Now stick your hand here. Pulled it out. It was white. He said, oh, I said, put it back. Came. He said, okay, that's two tricks. That'll do. Where we go. So here Moses, he walks in. Pharaoh says, who is this God that I should honor him? So Moses picks out his heaviest one. He tries to stick down. Well, boom, it becomes a snake. And I'll tell you what's tricky. Pharaoh's magicians throw down this. Stay, stops. They become snakes. Now, some Bible scholars believe what they had was snakes. You can stroke a certain snake in Egypt till it becomes stiff as a board. You can pick it up just like a stick. And when you throw it down, you shake it, and it releases the hypnosis, and the thing just becomes normal again. And maybe they did that. Maybe it was not actually a matter of manipulation thing. But what is wild is when these snakes all hit the floor, Moses' snake ate up all the other snakes. See, you know what that said to the occult world? It was the beginning of this. Uh-oh, Charlie. Whatever this thing is, it's going to gobble ours up. And you see, these occult leaders believe this, that Moses was simply an adept like themselves, only perhaps he had a little bit more heavier touch on the force. Had no idea that this was a different order of supernatural power. Totally different order. That this came from the highest source in the universe, the God, creator God himself. And then all through those first three or four judgment miracles, the Pharaoh's magicians duplicated. He touches the river Nile, it becomes blood. They touch the river, the water, and it becomes blood. Big deal. Why couldn't they touch the blood and make it water? That would be a better miracle for them. They couldn't do it. They just said, well, we'll duplicate that too. You can judge it, we can judge it too. And then finally, the smallest one, the dust. Moses touches it with his stick and it becomes a lie. And these lice crawl all over the place, sitting on Kojak heads because all of the Egyptian magicians shaved their heads like Kojak. <laughs> that was to uh, make sure no lice ever got there because lice was unclean. You could offer no sacrifices. In, in any place in Egypt where you were unclean, you it's like, and they said this, this is the very finger of God. They recognize, this is not the uh, general power through the universe, this is personal. It is a person's finger, and it is pointed, and unfortunately it's pointed at us. <laughs> now in the Bible, the Bible says the heavens are the work of God's hands, you know, and the finger of God, he, the work of his fingers, and the creation is the work of his hands. 
But salvation came from his whole arm. It takes more to save a man than it does to create a world. That thing finger. God is general energy goes right out through the creation. Whenever a person gets healed, whether it's by rest or anything else, ultimately genuine healing can be ascribed to the creative healing power of God. It's general. It goes right through the whole universe. He sustains. Animals get healed by it and all kinds of things. That's general. But the finger of God is where he personally steps in and touches. And that's where the miracles happen. See, I, I don't believe there's healing ultimately from the devil. All healing comes from God. But... When you see this special, it's God personally stepping in, putting his fingers, saying, here, 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 here. And Pharaoh's magicians recognize this. Uh-oh, this is not the amoral force we have tapped into by meditation. This is a person, and he's after us. And it finished him right there. Couldn't go any further. All right, you got that? Hopefully. Now, last one. The last one I want to give you is counterfeit worship. And I'm going to say one here that will again make me unpopular. I seem to love being unpopular. I believe the major source of counterfeit worship today is the whole rock subculture. And pop and soul and whole music world has stolen worship that belongs properly to God. And the key of this area is this. Uh, i got about 10 minutes to finish this. Could you write down this scripture, please? The book of Daniel, chapter 3, and verses 3 through to 18. This is thousands of years ago. A king by the name of Nebi set up an idol. God had given a dream. In this dream, he saw a great golden head, silver shoulders, and, you know, he saw all this... Uh, waist of brass and then he's iron like a robot of some kind a giant figure and uh, he forgot the dream and it tripped him out and he asked for astrologers to come and tell him what the dream is they couldn't even remember they said you tell us a dream we'll look up our Woolworths and see his dream interpretation books and he said I don't know what that is I'll kill you if you don't tell me what the dream is he's about to kill everybody and Daniel says wait a minute why is the king so mad he says well he's got this dream and he's forgotten it Daniel said I'll ask God God tells him, Daniel, this is what the dream is, this is what it means. So Daniel goes and he saves all the occult people by telling the king what he wants. And he says this to the king. You saw a great image, and that image represents you. The head, the gold, God has honored you above all the kingdoms. So straight away the king goes, glory to God, that's so exciting. And then he builds a big statue of himself and commands everybody to worship it. Typical reaction of an idiot king. <laughs> He builds this giant statue out of gold, puts it in the plain out there, and then to encourage people to cooperate, he builds a blast furnace, fueled by bitumen and oxygen, and with this little proviso. Sets up a giant plain out there, commands everybody to assemble, and then he brings in a band called Grand Funk Babylon, and they, they line up there, and he says this to the people, when you hear the music, you bow and worship my statue. And to encourage them, in case they don't understand Babylonian, he puts this blast furnace here. Says, if you don't bow, I'm going to feed you in a furnace. Well, it was called sold right out concert. Every, nobody was, 
There were people standing, because there weren't any seats, all across the plane. When the music played, everybody bowed, except for three notables who stood, idiotically enough, when the music played, they stood, would not bow. King invited them over to his corner for a friendly chat, found out it was three of his heaviest people who were these Hebrew slaves that had somehow got smarter than anybody else in his whole kingdom, and so he'd put them over everything. And he said, boys, don't you understand playing Babylonian? I said to you, when the music plays, you will bow. And they said, oh, king, live forever, even though he wasn't going to. Uh, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but if not, we will not bow down, serve your statue, O king. King goes, man? Throw him in the furnace! Throw him in! And they did. And the guys that threw him in became potato chips immediately. <laughs> and the king watched through his Polaroid binoculars as the boys fell down bound in the middle of the furnace. And then saw something that made his hair stand on end, made him never forget. In the middle of the flame, there was a fourth person. Three guys were walking around inside the fire, unburned, and somebody else there with them. And the king suggested that they come out. <laughs> and when they came in, there wasn't even, the ropes had gone, vaporized. But there wasn't even a smell of burning on their clothes. And the king said, uh, the God of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is really far out. And uh, <laughs> we really should worship him, shouldn't we? And stuff like that. Love Keith Green's album, man, No Compromise. Evil-looking, lecherous dude being carried along the streets and soldiers pointing like this and there's everybody's bowing down. One man standing up like this and the people, the guy right beside him is going, get down, get down, you're going to die. And he's just standing. No compromise. That's the way it has got to be in the Christian church. We have so much garbage coming through in music today. It's ridiculous. And I believe that there is... Music, which is supposed to be an expression of worship, it's the best way in the Bible we have an expression of worship, that thing has been stolen by the whole rock and pop and soul subculture. In the early days, he used to call a rock musician or a pop musician an idol. And they were right. That's exactly what he was. Jimi Hendrix in the 60s called music electric church. And that's brilliant insight. You see, today's rock concerts have become, or today's discos, have become alternative churches. They've become places where people can get together, where they can really worship. And that is idolatry. It is stealing from God the glory that belongs to Him. Now, I believe that God has in His heart some incredibly heavy things. I just want to share with you a couple of these in these last five minutes. In the Bible, would you write these down, please? Exodus 32, 1 to 8, and 17 to 18. Exodus 32, 1 to 8, 17 to 18. When Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments, the people downstairs were having an orgy and music. Moses, hearing it, thought it was a war on. Went down and got so mad, he busted the Ten Commandments, had to go up and get another set. 
Ecclesiastes 2, 8 to 11, Solomon gave himself to great bands, and his conclusion at the end of this, that this also was vanity. That's Ecclesiastes 2, 8 to 11. And then Revelation 18, that same passage we read earlier, shows one of the characteristics of Babylon will be its music, will be known by its music. Ezekiel 28, 11 to 13 is a very strange scripture. In uh, King James, it's much more representative of musical than it is in other versions. But there are two words here. Uh, one is the word nekev, which means a pipe. And the other word is the word uh, ta. This is a passage that describes the devil. And this is what it says. Um, Ezekiel 28, 11 to 13 says, Thou was perfect in thy ways till iniquity was found in thee. Thy pipes and thy tabrets is the way King James translates it. But one of them seems to imply a pretty, a beautiful jeweled gem. And the other one is equivalent of a tambourine. And the overall concept is a being who is a jeweled musical beauty. That's the concept. And it's a description of the devil. And some people believe that Satan was in charge of music in heaven. He is the only being with built-in musical instrumentation. If that be so, then he knows how to use music more than any other demon in the universe. And I believe that music is a frontline area. Now, Christians have been very careless here and made many compromises, sometimes because of a simple little thing called unyielded rights. One of the most damnable things that ever takes place in the church is not unyielded wrongs, but unyielded rights. When people do not give their good things to God, they come and ask them to be baptized. Here comes a guy, he's a great guitarist. He says to God, now you got me. Isn't that far out? Why don't uh, I'm going to play and I'm going to be a great Christian musician. God could care less about your music. He can make a peanut sing better than you. He can make a rock play better than you. He wants a heart. And if he hasn't got the heart, your music's not worth a hill of beans to him. You never heard the stars sing, have you? He hears them sing all the time. He's heard the angels sing, and they never blow a note. He is not impressed with unconsecrated, unyielded talent. It is Mickey Mouse to him. How well could you play if you could play for a thousand years of practice? Well, there are angels who have sung to God for 6,000 years. How good do you think they are? And we think, hey, God, listen to me, man. I really have this heavy thing I want to lay on you. <laughs> we believe that our lyrics today are so deep. I have the complete poetical works of John and Charles Wesley. I haven't found a... One chorus in a hundred today that closely even come near to some of the content of those things. You see, to have some beautiful songs, you've got to have some beautiful experiences. And you've got to have some depth in your walk with God. We, had, we were talking about this last night. Some of the dumbest stuff that's going around. Once I was lost and went down to the cross and now Jesus is my boss and I'm glad my name is Ross. <laughs> Sanity. Don't have people of great walk with God and a great love for God and great worship of God. And so we're getting Mickey Mouse stuff coming out. God is sick of that junk. He doesn't care about stumbling little young Christians that write funny little songs. That 
gladdens his heart. What he's sick of is imported talent that is not dead, that has never been given over to God, that is just a stench in his nostrils. And the Christian world is filled with it. It's up to here with it. I get very mad at this, and there's only about three of us ever preach against it, but I do. I'm going to do it again. I think God hates this kind of music being imported into his church. And I think statistics bear it out. People go, well, you have to have this kind of music, otherwise nobody's going to buy it. Who cares if people buy it? Simple fact is that most sales are made records that are not like that. I'm working with a group called Agape Force. They got a children's album called Out the Music Machine. Sold 700,000 albums. That's a gold disc. It'll be platinum by the end of the year. That's hardly hard. Evie Tonkris, number one woman vocalist in the Christian world, she's hardly kiss. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I believe God has a music that is uniquely Christian. I do not buy the adage that any kind of music is all right. And then kids said to me, well, you know, if you can play this kind of music, people really love it, then why can't you play it for Christian things? Love their minds, they'll come and get saved. I said, God does not save you all. I freak your head out and kick your door in. <laughs> now, I believe studies need to be taken here, but I believe that music is more than a simple psychological or physical thing. It is a spiritual thing. And the, one of the most beautiful images in C.S. Lewis is Aslan singing the stars into existence. The lion comes out and he sings, and all the stars start appearing. Do you know that music is the most creative act a person can make? When you speak and when you sing, you create vibrations that come out and God spoke the universe into existence. Wouldn't surprise me if when he said, let there be light, it was a song. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Closer we look at the structure of the universe, the less it looks like a machine, the more it looks like a poem or a song. Can't even be described in a machine model. It must be described closest to mathematics, which closely approach poetry. The whole universe is like that. He wants to see purity and reality. And I believe that music's a creative force. Now, I wish I had a thing. I want to demonstrate one time some of the new studies in music. I have a deal I'd like to play you one day. Maybe I'll get to do it. I'll play you certain kinds of song, and I'll demonstrate a total uh, the effect directly of music on your muscles. Uh, so much so that it would be instantaneous loss of two-thirds of your muscle strength on certain kinds of rhythm. And I can demonstrate that. If I had the music tonight, I'd do it right here. And show. It's a really trippy thing. In other words, if a guy could just bench press 70 pounds and I played this kind of thing, the thing would fall right on top. Now, I can demonstrate that on any muscle in your body right now. That's just one simple level of music. I believe because we ourselves are created by speaking, God speaking into existence, our whole beings are tied up with music. And whatever you sing and whatever you listen to either harmonizes with the whole incredible complex spiritual thing that your body is or goes against it and destroys it. And I believe that can be proved. I believe it can do it. I've got a lab back in New Zealand. And I'm going to do some studies and one day I'm going to Announced to the world, da -da, I have found. <laughs> I believe there's certain kinds of music that damage you, and I believe I can prove it. Okay. 
Having said all of that, let us sum up this. These four, if you get into the counterfeits, will only be a matter of time when you're into one that they will push you out into the other three because God will not put up with counterfeit. And if you want to buy the counterfeit in one area, he will turn you over to the counterfeit in the other three. He's not going to half meet your needs. You make him Lord of all, you cannot make him Lord at all. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we pray tonight in the name of Jesus to reveal to us, Lord, the seriousness of what we've spoken about this evening. Believe in this place, the people who play around with areas like immorality, with areas like drugs, of various levels, and also with areas like music that is displeasing to you, and also with areas like experimentations and occult systems of power. Pray, Lord Jesus, that these things will be abandoned. There will be a thorough-hearted commitment of the life and the mind and the spirit to you, that there will be such a, a flow of purity and power and wisdom that our whole hearts will turn back to you in worship. You long to see a church that is clean, that makes no compromises in its personal life. And only by those kind of people will you ever change the world, we believe, by your word. In Jesus' name, help us, we pray. Put your finger on that which displeases you and give us a holy unrest until we find surrender of that in our hearts to you. Amen. All right, that's part two of uh, basic uh, of the basic needs counterfeits the spiritual counterfeits for the basic needs, and uh, we're we're done for today. Uh, like I said, we'll, we hope we'll be back now. The health issues are getting better, so um, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. <laughs>